You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. Welcome to our podcast on learning and development. I'm Philippa Lamb, and in this podcast, we'll be offering you insights into key topics for learning and development professionals. Following the launch of the CIPD's latest annual learning and development survey, we're going to focus on two of the issues addressed in our study the role of line managers in learning and development and the importance of integrating learning and development at a strategic level. Now, we've interviewed a range of practitioners who are achieving impressive results in engaging both line and senior management. But first, let's hear from our reporter, Adam Kirtley, who asked Charles Jennings, the global head of learning at Reuters, what he thought of the survey's findings. What lessons can people take away from the survey, do you think? I think there are uh, a couple of very clear lessons that come out of the survey. Uh, One is that the L&D function needs to work very hard to earn a place at the top table. It's not going to be given a place at the top table uh, as a matter of course. It needs to work very hard. To do that, the L&D function needs to build its own capability uh, in order to be able to sit across the table and have those business discussions with senior managers. Absolutely that. On the other hand, there's a lesson that line managers need to understand that they have accountability for developing their people and need to work very closely with L&D and they can't pass that responsibility across to the L&D function. It really comes down to a matter of trust. And as in any trust relationship, both sides have to work at it. Engaging effectively at the top table is one of the toughest challenges facing learning and development professionals. But so too is ensuring line managers play their part. Adam talked to Victoria Winkler, the CIPD's learning, training and development advisor who authored the survey. There was an increasing recognition that line managers were important. There was increasing recognition that they were taking on bigger roles. But what people were less sure of was whether actually line managers were effective in doing this. And certainly when you look at the findings of the Learning and Development Survey, which show that very few organisations, relatively speaking, are offering learning and development for their line managers to actually support them in these day-to-day activities, then that's quite a worrying finding. One organisation that does recognise the role of line managers is Whitehall's largest employer, the Department for Work and Pensions. Maxine Clark is the department's learning-to-learn design manager, and she talked to us about how they're increasing line management engagement. How does your experience tie in with uh, the key survey findings, that although line managers are expected to do more learning and development, they feel they're not trained enough themselves, they have huge time and money pressures... So in other words, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't necessarily make it drink. That ties in with some research that we've done in, um, in our own departments, which we've just completed, looking at how people are using our websites. And those findings are identical. I think it's about acknowledging that being a line manager in today's businesses and today's organisations is hard. There's the business objectives, there's the people management, there's everything else that line managers need to do. Learning and development historically has always fallen off the scale. What would you say are the main challenges for your organisation, the DWP, and the public sector in general when it comes to learning and development? It's actually about getting people to take responsibility for their own learning, moving away from an organisation that dictates what learning people need and getting adults to actually recognise they know what they want, they just need some help on how to get there. 
One way that the Department for Work and Pensions has encouraged individuals to take responsibility for their own learning is by setting up an online portal. But of course, careful and considered implementation is critical to its success. What we've done in the departments is um, quite a large marketing campaign. But we've also, um, through the research we've done, um, we've been using some action research methods. So we've actually going out and working with people to help them use the services we offer in a way that doesn't take time, in fact, saves time. And the latest results have actually shown that where we've worked with people very closely, they're actually now using the science and using the learning because it's quicker than finding somebody to talk to. Time is undoubtedly a precious commodity for all of us, and perhaps no more so than in the restaurant business. With a strong and growing high street presence, Nando's understands learning and development's contribution to bucking industry trends. Marcelo Borges, Learning and Development Manager at Nando's, told us just how big a difference it's making. Explain to me, first of all, why learning and development is so important to Nando's. In Nando's, we believe that uh, the, the philosophy that we follow is a very simple one. We believe that happy staff equal happy customers equal happy bank manager. If you look after your people, your people are going to look after your customers and everything else is going to take care of itself. And we do believe that learning and development is a massive part of looking after your people. You know, if you want them to feel motivated and happy in their jobs, you've got to provide them with appropriate skills and developments so they can do the job brilliantly. The CIPD podcast series. So we've heard that while it can be hard for line managers to take on more responsibility for learning and development, it's clear that with the right support, great improvements can be achieved. But such efforts mustn't be made in isolation. Learning and development has to be integrated at a strategic level within an organisation if its true value is to be realised. Adam asked Charles Jennings if this is happening. Can we explore the link between learning and development and overall corporate strategy? Do you think the two are as closely integrated as they should be? Well, I don't. And I think that the uh, the survey results show that they're not. Eight out of ten of us, uh, eight out of ten of the L&D professionals believe that L&D is considered whilst the organisation is planning its strategy. But only 30% of us uh, are actually involved in those early stages of of organisational strategy planning. And to me that says that the level of trust that senior business managers expect and need to have of L&D managers may not be there. And that's something that we as L&D managers need to work on. The message is clear. Without a learning and development strategy, you can't be part of the strategic planning process. So how can learning and development professionals ensure that they are included and trusted? CIPD's Victoria Winkler sums up the survey's findings on this issue. It's interesting because we asked questions along the lines of whether learning and development is heavily formulated within organisations, so whether there's an L&D strategy, whether there's allocated training funds, whether organisations have gone for things like investors in people. And certainly there seemed to be evidence that where organisations were able to demonstrate that their own learning and development strategy was well formulated, well thought through, they were more likely to be involved in the organisational business planning process. You can find links to the CIPD's annual learning and development survey as well as other relevant resources in the show notes that accompany this podcast at www.cipd.co.uk slash podcasts.
Meanwhile, Marcelo Borges at Nando's told us more about how their learning and development strategy is making all the difference to performance. We have uh, some fantastic figures uh, in terms of our management uh, retention. Uh, Last year alone, just below 22% of our managers, the turnover just below 22%. Um, and that compared to the rest of the industry, the industry is sitting at probably 40 to 50%. So, you know, something that is telling me that actually people come in and they want to stay with Nando's because there's something different there about the way that we do things. You started off with just eight restaurants. Mm-hmm. You were small, you, you exude passion, you sound like a family. But as you get bigger and bigger, how are you going to keep that passionate family feel to your staff ethos and to your learning and development programs? Brilliant. That's a good question. And I think that's a fantastic challenge that we have. And I think what's interesting about Nando's is year after year, we keep asking ourselves that question. How can we, going forward, become a bigger organization, but with the intimacy of a small organization? And for us, it's about looking after each and every restaurant and getting the patrons in each and every restaurant to look after their people as if they were part of their family. So, you know, we're really trying to get the, the structure of the organization to keep the culture of organisation. And going forward, we're going to, you know, do that. While Nando's are justifiably proud of their achievements, they're also acutely aware that as they grow, the main challenge will be how to retain their family-orientated culture in a competitive and crowded commercial market. Whereas the Department of Work and Pensions, with 100,000 staff to manage, faces very different challenges. The public sector is under constant pressure to justify its spend, and Maxine Clark talked to us about how new technologies are being used to drive forward a more effective learning and development strategy, which also saves on cost. I think with the restrictions on money, you're absolutely right, that does exist, and it, and it has to, it's taxpayers' money. Um, this coincides very nicely with the, with the use of IT. And it's in the last five years that we've actually started moving away from training courses being the only way to learn. So uh, there's huge savings on people not having to go to classrooms, not having to be away from the office. There's all the on-costs about people not actually um, doing a day's work, but they can actually get their learning as and when they need it at their desk. Um, and I think like a lot of other organisations, the way technology has moved on to actually enable people to access learning when they need it um, has really been like a pivotal point, a tipping point for us. Charles Jennings of Reuters agrees that learning as and when it's needed is definitely the way forward. Adam asked him to explain further. Do you think learning and development professionals have to get much more diverse in how they deliver that learning? In other words, manager comes to you with problem, you say, OK, I'll invent a course for you, manager happy, box ticked. Is there still too much of that going on, do you think? Absolutely. That's the uh, the conspiracy of convenience where learning manager sees their job as, as designing, developing, delivering courses. Uh, line manager sees their problems as being learning problems, passes them over the fence, uh, courses are delivered, no one measures it, everyone's happy. Uh, we certainly need to get away from that. In my own organisation, we have embedded in our learning strategy, in our learning approach, something called 70-20-10, and that is the research tells us that uh, adult learning within organisations, about 70% of what people learn to do their jobs, they learn in the workplace, on the job. Uh, 20% they learn through their networks, through coaching and so on, and 10% they learn formally. And uh, certainly within our organisation, we make that very explicit. We speak to senior managers and management groups all the time and explain the fact that 70-20-10 is the way we should, we should be going. 
Understanding how and where people learn most effectively has to serve as a solid basis for developing your learning and development strategy. However, it's equally important to understand what motivates people to engage with learning in the first place. Tim Kendall, English Communications Group Manager with Pfizer Global Research and Development, explained how he managed to engage a group of highly qualified knowledge workers. They are scientists and they believe that their their aim is to create, in this case, new medicines. And that's it. The main thing is that we're trying to help them do a better job by changing their mindset so that they're more open-minded. Now, in drug development, having an open mind is the key. Part of Tim's strategy was to better understand the scientist's motivation. He used emotional intelligence testing, which helped him to identify the most appropriate way to engage this particular group. And he told us how a simple measure proved highly effective. A lot of the colleagues there started to make diaries uh, of their daily activities when they were actually having thoughts. So people were actually um, becoming more aware of their own actions. Um, And that eventually did lead to more ideas. And, And also maybe they were more inclined to share their ideas with with other people around them. A good reminder there of the importance of recognising different learning styles. Sharing ideas within a team based in the same location is one thing, but what if your challenge is to connect people globally? Coca-Cola and HBC, already operating on a global scale, faced a rare challenge when they expanded into a country that was totally unfamiliar with its product. Learning and development proved instrumental in their success. Sid Farley, their Director of Targeted Development, told us why. What in practical terms does your learning and development strategy deliver for you? Well, probably the best example we could give you is Romania. We, we started the business in Romania in 1992. Uh, people in Romania had heard about Coca-Cola because they'd seen it on satellite television, but they'd never tasted it, they didn't know how to buy it, they didn't know how to sell it, they didn't know how to drink it, they didn't know what to drink it in. So we had a whole learning game there for the public as well as for the management. Management were developed uh, through bringing them to developed countries, showing them how the business operated. And the thirst for learning in Romania was immense. After that, we put in a general manager who was very people-focused. He said that one of his objectives was to develop people for the rest of the group. And now if you go to any of the countries that are within our organisation, there is at least one or two Romanians working there in a very senior management capacity. You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. Everything we've heard highlights the potential for learning and development to influence and contribute at a strategic level. But perhaps the strongest message is that learning and development must be integrated within an organisation. And for that to happen, both line managers and learning and development professionals need to be sure they understand how their roles are changing. Charles Jennings sums up the implications. Some managers are interested in learning, most are not. However, they are, and they absolutely should be, passionate about performance. And I think as L&D professionals, we need to move our focus from learning to performance. And the change there is really one on inputs, a focus on inputs to a focus on outputs. L&D 
is potentially a very, very powerful strategic business tool, the same way as finance, marketing, other functions are. Learning and development has the potential to be a powerful strategic tool. Although each organisation has its own individual learning and development needs, all of those succeeding with their learning and development strategy have two things in common. They focus on outputs and performance. If you'd like to know more about the learning and development themes covered in this podcast, visit our website at www.cipd.co.uk slash podcasts. You can also share any feedback you have on our podcast via the website. Next time, we'll be focusing on diversity, featuring an exclusive interview with Trevor Phillips, chairman of the Equalities Review Task Force. Until then, goodbye. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series. 